This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now I'm joined by the co-leader of the Green Party of Aotearoa, James Shaw. Atamarie, James. Good morning. How are we today? Yeah, very good, thank you. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Wellington, so uh, the augers are good. Very good, very good. You're up early driving through some of the countryside this morning, so that's very nice. Um, right, you, the Green Party um, just recently launched their policy platform entitled Think Ahead, Act Now, Our Green Vision for Aotearoa. Um, there's three sections that live within this, uh, healthy, uh, health nature, um, fair communities and clean economy. Um, so I guess we'll want to break those things down a little bit, considering it's the, the first time you're on the show for this election cycle. Um, yeah. So let's talk about health nature. Um, what are we really looking at here? So that kind of covers uh, kind of core environmental protections, conservation, our marine environment, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the split, of course, is that um, when you think about the impacts on the environment, they are basically a function of our economy and so there's actually more detail in the clean economy section because it's about how we um, kind of rejig the economy so that we can all kind of you know have the lives that we want um, but in a way that actually protects and enhances the environment rather than degrades it which has been you know most of human history yeah i mean everything starts with um, the earth, right? I mean, everything comes yeah. from Papatuanuku. Without that, we'd have nothing. And if you don't look after um, the earth, then the earth's not going to look after you. Yes. That yeah. is, in fact, that's almost line for line. <laughs> <laughs> Some of what's in, what's in the manifesto. Well, the, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I mean, we, we've, we've always had this, this line that, um, you know, the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment. Uh, and and the sort of notion that you can have perpetual unlimited growth uh, for all time is actually a mathematical impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point, you come up against the constraints of living on a finite planet. Uh, and it's pretty clear that we can see those constraints all around us right now. Yeah. Um, and so we have to, at the very least, get a lot more efficient with our resources um, and seek to eliminate the negative uh, effects of our industry, such as pollution, um, as fast as we can, um, because we are way, way over the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people will call, though, that, you know, we're in tough times, tough economic times now. We have to do everything we can in the now uh, to replace what we've lost, uh, be that at the detriment of the environment, perhaps... Um, uh, yeah, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, I, I can completely understand people who say, look, can we please just go back to the way things were before, right? We're kind of going through this planet-wide horror show uh, at the moment, and, and people just want a sort of a restoration of the status quo. But there's two things about that. First of all, the status quo isn't coming back, right? It's, yeah. You know, it's fundamentally changed things. And we haven't yet fully experienced the extent of that change. So we are in we are in a transition away from what was our kind of normal anyway. The other thing is that you know that this getting ourselves through this crisis is a monumentally expensive proposition. So we're borrowing tens of billions of dollars, which is going to have to get paid back largely by future generations of taxpayers. 
And they that what that means is every dollar that they spend kind of paying back the debt that we're running up to get ourselves through this crisis is a dollar that they cannot spend getting themselves through a crisis that they are going through in their time. And we already know what those are. There's the, the climate crisis hasn't gone away just because COVID-19 is around. The housing crisis is still there. You've still got the crisis of endemic poverty in, in New Zealand and so on. And so what we can do, uh, it, this is not just an opportunity, it's a responsibility, is to, is to put every dollar of the COVID-19 stimulus spend to work, fixing those long-term challenges, because then future generations of taxpayers won't have to do that, right? We don't hit them with a double whammy of both paying back our crisis and also paying for their own crisis. We can hit two birds with one stone here. Mm-hmm. All right, um, I guess we'll touch a little bit more on, on that and a little bit in clean economy, but I want to go to fair communities. Um, you know, currently, you know, a high percentage of New Zealanders are dependent on the government in, in many ways through working for families, accommodation supplements, food grants and the like. I've, Me and my partner and my three stepchildren, we're in a two-income family. Um, yeah. I'm now having to work four jobs. Uh, um, and we're still getting accommodation supplement and yeah. working for families. Like, that just doesn't seem right, James, um, that we live in a perceived first world economy. Yeah. Um, we should all be able to do these things, on, you know, stand on our own two feet, but wages are, are, are ridiculous. And, and you know, and, and we've got it pretty good, you know. Yeah. You, you compare to some, you've got disenfranchised Māori that can't break the economic shackles that have been imposed on them for 200 years. You know, you've, you've got, um, you know, there's so many more out there that are worse off than us. And how, how do we even begin to, to fix the broken system that is um, that? Yeah, so the, you, what you're pointing at is um, the, the very first big policy program that we launched back on, um, oh, it's probably about a month ago, uh, was called the Poverty Action Plan. And, and there's the, the key components of that. Um, is what we call a guaranteed minimum income. Uh, so the Welfare Expert Advisory Group that we commissioned in this last term of Parliament said that income support is basically set too low to enable anybody to live uh, on and and make kind of modern uh, living costs. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they recommended that it be about $100 higher. So what we're suggesting is that rather than this really punitive sanctions-based system where you've got to jump through, you know, a thousand hoops every week just to make sure that you're able to get the following week's income support, that when you need it, there is a guaranteed minimum income of $325 a week, you know, each. Um, You get top-ups in your case because you've got kids, you'd have a top-up for that um, for each child uh, and so on. And the idea there is to say, look, it's not a universal basic income because it only goes to people who actually need it when they need it. But it says that there is a, a minimum level of support that people should not ever fall below. It is an expensive proposition. Um, it's about $6 billion. But when you consider that we currently spend about $105 billion a year uh, on, on average, um, it, it's actually not a colossal... That's a 5% increase in, in government expenditure. And it would lift every family above the poverty line. Seems to me that I mean the cards are stacked against us, and and maybe within the system there are supposed to be people like me. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly imagine it, it. It feels that way 
uh, when you're in that situation. But no, that I'm, you know, what you said before. I don't think that in a developed country like New Zealand, one of the wealthier countries in the world, that there is any excuse for us to continue to allow ourselves to leave so many of our own citizens behind. You know, other countries don't. You know, they're, they're prepared to do what it takes to try and, and lift people out of poverty on an ongoing basis, and some of them are, are more successful at that than us. Than us. So, you know, I, I just think that we've lived for 30 years with this particularly Victorian notion of the deserving poor and the undeserving poor, and this incredibly punitive approach that, that says, well, we're just going to stand on the neck of every unemployed person until they stop being poor, mm. um, which kind of has turned out not to work. All it's done is to create multi-generational poverty. Well, I mean, if, if we do live in, in the, this, this first world economy, why can't we just have fair wages? Why can't, in, instead of having to rely on, you know, your, your plan, why can't we just, some, you know, have, have an economic system that pays yeah. us fairly? Well, our, <clears throat> our plan includes fair wages. So, yes, obviously, you know, the income support is there for, um, you know, people who are unemployed or are going through, you know, have other life circumstances. Mm-hmm. But, and, and actually this is something I'm, I'm quite proud of, is that, that this government has done, is that even when the economic kind of headwinds were heading towards us, we still said that we were committed to increasing the minimum wage uh, year on year until it gets to the living wage. And then, of course, the living wage itself will move. The other part of this equation, of course, is that living costs have been going up faster than wages have, particularly at the bottom end. Um, and so the, the key part of that is housing costs. So when I was talking before about the housing crisis, that, that still hasn't got away. No. You know, we've still got tens of thousands of people who are on a waiting list for, um, uh, for basically for a place to live. Um, and and that is not that is also not acceptable. And again, that is something that we can use the COVID nineteen stimulus on. Yeah, is building a sufficient number of houses to try and take the heat out of the housing market and make sure that everybody who needs a house has got one. Well, it's, it's gotten worse. The crisis has gotten seven times worse, apparently, from things I'm hearing this morning. Uh, yeah, well, it, I mean, it, I don't, I'm not sure what per- period of time you're talking about, but we've gone from, I mean, we now have, the, we have New Zealand is the least affordable uh, place in the world for housing, mm-hmm. which is kind of bonkers when you think about it, because we have land and we have wood, <laughs> and you would think that we could build some houses. So, um, that, I mean, I have to say it is a very big part of the, gov- the current government's program, um, but the Greens would certainly be looking to scale that up as fast as possible yeah. in, the ne- in the next government. When it comes to a clean economy, we want to future-proof our, our economy. Um, of course, uh, we are a breadbasket economy, some would say, um, primary produce. Um, but we all know, like, like we said before, we all know where the planet is heading, whether some of us want to admit it or not. Uh, and one would imagine that the, the future economy is one that's going to have to be a green and high-tech economy. Um, and it seems that, you know, we've talked the talk for a long time and we used to be really, really proud of where we were in terms of uh, number eight uh, and, um, yeah. a, a, and forward thinking. 
but now it feels like we're going to be left behind. You know, the gold rush of the 21st century is upon us, James. What are we doing about it? Well, the ICT sector is, I think, the fastest growing sector in the country um, and, and now accounts for uh, a very significant portion of um, both our domestic economy and our exports. Um, it's sort of slightly weird how it gets counted because um, it, you know, it gets split up between other industries, but um, ICT is adding value in kind of every sector, including um, our more traditional industries like uh, you know, the production of food. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at Fonterra, for example, they would describe themselves in many ways as a manufacturing company rather than a, rather than a food company. So, so you do have um, uh, a significant growth in that sector over uh, the last uh, 20 years or so, and it, it really has picked up since the rollout of the ultra-fast broadband around the country. You're right, we do need to accelerate it, and we also need to be quite conscious of the fact, for example, international tourism uh, is currently zero, yeah. um, and and we're going to have to do something to kind of replace that activity. Um, and so that that is something that that we're working on. I have to say, I, you know, I think that we will always also be a food growing nation. Right? We have fantastic environmental conditions for uh, for food. The global population is increasing. Um, if there's one thing that COVID nineteen taught us, when we're all locked in our bedrooms for a month is that we still needed to eat uh, and that had to come from somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that will continue to be a sort of a mainstay of the, of the economy, but I also agree with you. I think that we'll see a lot more diversity in the economy over the coming years. Um, point five uh, in the broadcasting and uh, public media section was uh, protect and further support student media. So uh, I just want to say I like that idea. Um, <laughs> Putting aside all personal interests, of course. Of course, of course, James. Uh, just quickly, uh, Kiwis are coming home due to COVID. Um, you've worked with the government to ensure that uh, if you're a Kiwi overseas uh, when COVID hit, you won't be charged the $3,000 quarantine fee uh, unless you plan to live, leave within 90 days or uh, you leave and come back after the regulations come into force. Is this politicking, James? Like, we all know that the Greens do very well out of special votes from overseas Kiwis. No, it's a matter of human rights. I mean, if you look at the New Zealand Bill of Rights, it says that New Zealanders have a right to return to New Zealand, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't say you've got a right to return to New Zealand if you pay $3,000. It also says, you know, we have a right not to be tortured. And it doesn't say you have a right not to be tortured if you pay three thousand dollars. <laughs> so it's just—it's a fundamental uh, uh, right of citizenship. Um, and so, and, and also, there, there is a real fundamental aspect of fairness here, which is that if you've been living overseas, um, or if you went overseas uh, um, before this legislation was announced, then you then you you know did that without any knowledge that you were going to get pinged with what is a reasonably substantial fee on your way back into the country. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, yes, there are um, tens of thousands of New Zealanders overseas, many of whom are now in quite dire straits because their work visas are running out. Um, they have very little choice other than to come home. A lot of them have found themselves in very difficult economic times because, you know, like a lot of other people around the world, they've lost their jobs and so on and so forth. So, you know, we just think it's fundamentally this is about this team of five million that we keep talking about doesn't just stop at the border, right? This, it's about New Zealanders and it's about 
everybody supporting each other through a one in one hundred year crisis. So I, yeah, that, I mean that that was fundamentally our fundamentally our position. I mean there, there is a case to be made, which is if you're going overseas from this point forward for a holiday uh, or a business trip or something like that, then you do so in the full knowledge that there is a cost uh, that is associated with when you come back in and, and quarantine. Yeah. And so we were we were kind of willing to concede that point. Why not means test? Uh, it just gets astonishingly complicated, right? And and um, there will be a, a sort of a, a a way of managing payments for people who are unable to um, cover the full cost at the border. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it would be good for the government to start um, looking at mean testing, and this could be a good way of experimenting with it because we're going to have to do it for some things sooner rather than later, I think. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I think that's a good one, James. Well, um, thank you for taking the time out to speak to us this morning. Always a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure indeed. And we'll talk again in two weeks' time. Looking forward to it. All right. Cheers, James. Thank you. That was Green Party co-leader James Shaw there um, talking about um, the policy launch that was a few days ago, five days ago now. If you want to check out uh, the entire policy, the manifesto, you can check it out on the Green Party website. It is now... Thanks for listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.